when I'm seeing an activist post about all the terrible, terrible things that are happening on a daily basis, that doesn't spark joy. But also the Killjoy mission sparks a much larger kind of joy. So it's redefining what joy is. We're back for week two of the Killjoy conversation here on the Her Life Vlogcast. Kevin Verga, Emma Spoldy. Yep. This is what I call the dream team. Welcome back. Thank, Thank you me. for having us again. Thank you for being here, guys. I was very <laughs> happy with last week's discussion, and I'm excited to carry it right on into this week. We're killing joy, and I'm happy to be doing it. Let's define, though, for our audience what exactly we mean, because it sounds like a downer. And make no mistake, it is but it's a productive one. And I think that's what we want to parse out for you guys to kick off this episode. We're really just diving right in. Okay, what I wanna do, and I think the best way to do this is to differentiate for ourselves and for anybody listening, the difference between a killjoy and a buzzkill, because I feel like sometimes they're used interchangeably, but I think there's a very important distinction that I want to highlight for everybody now. A killjoy as defined by dictionary.com is a person who deliberately spoils the enjoyment of others through resentful or overly sober behavior. Again, it doesn't sound great, but we're gonna explain why it's so effective and meaningful, especially in times like these. On the other hand though, a buzzkill is a person or thing that has a depressing or dispiriting effect. The biggest difference I take away from those respective definitions is the intention. A killjoy, means to disrupt, means to make you uncomfortable. And I think we are going to take it one step further in the Her Life blogcast definition of a killjoy to me, to say that that intention to cause discomfort is very meaningful. Its intention is to change people's minds and attitudes and approaches to the world in which we're living. Simple task, don't you say? I don't know, but I think, is that, is that helpful in really pinning down what we're talking about, killjoy? Yeah, I think everyone has been a buzzkill in their lives, and it's always accidental, and you're like, ah, I just took the air right out of the room. At least I know I have. <laughs> and <laughs> But killjoy, like you said, is you think, or rather, oftentimes you're reacting and saying, hey, that's not something to be joyous about. Right. So how about you knock it off? That's well, powerful. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to use Sarah Ahmed's approach to kind of dissect the current Black Lives Matter movement, because I think, speaking personally, I have certainly been a killjoy within my circles. Some friends, mostly family and extended family, I would say, is where I'm feeling it personally the most. And it's wildly uncomfortable, but then reading someone like Sarah Ahmed, who has studied it and experienced it and lived it, was very vindicating. Vindicating is the word of the day. Thank you, Kevin, for the word of the day. So a little bit on Sarah Ahmed. She is this week's BAB of the week because she's very badass and just has a lot of really smart ideas that, again, are super applicable to whatever you want them to apply to. So she is a British-Australian scholar who studies the intersection of a lot of things. I'm going to list them for you now. Feminist theory, lesbian feminism, queer theory, critical race theory, and post-colonialism. Smart lady. Like, she's studying a yeah. lot of things and... Imagine how complicated and nuanced those things are when they're all intersecting with one another. So she's taking on a lot here, but I think the depth of that subject matter just goes to show how applicable this stuff really is. And I think why it struck me so much for this conversation. So Sarah Ahmed, to me, is all about practicing what you preach. A lot of her study and writing is about, it's not enough to just study feminist theory. You need to actively seek out changes in the world, that you yourself 
can implement. It starts with your immediate circles and only then can you make the bigger change. So a lot of times that looks like calling out problematic things as they're happening, killing the joy, but doing it for a very productive reason that hopefully changes attitudes. It's exactly what we were talking about last week with the Killjoy content. You know what I mean? The purpose of content like that is to make you uncomfortable and make you question so that hopefully the next version of you post watching or reading or listening to is new and improved essentially. So again, a very intentional killing of the joy. That's what Sarah Ahmed's all about. Any initial reactions to Sarah Ahmed and what she she's all about? Um, I think the term killjoy is quite jarring at first. Like I was kind of like afraid to, I must admit, yeah, I was like a little afraid to dive into this just because like, I know I'm not as like educated on this topic, et cetera. And it is quite important, but I'm learning from you too. But I'm also just excited to know her name now. And I mean, also she just studies so many interesting things too. Like how did she start with this? I have a lot of questions just on her biography, I guess. Just like, I want to know her as a person. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And like, good for her though. Good for her. Yeah. And enough to make it like a life's work. That's a lot to right. dedicate. So obviously she's very passionate about it and we're only getting like a very small sliver of it now. But sure. Kevin, how about you? What are you feeling? How are you reacting? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what that was. I'm upset to say that my brain, when I first heard Killjoy, is that it would be an awesome punk rock band. Preferably, preferably true, a, a nice intersectional, diverse group of people just playing some awesome punk rock. Just speaking truth to power with electric guitars. I, uh, I, I love to listen to the Killjoy. So if you two want to start the band, I would love to produce your work and um, help Killjoy. you out with it in any way. The Killjoys. I'm down. In terms of what it actually is, uh, I I agree with Emma on that. I, I learn about these things from you two, comma two. Like I I feel that you two introduced me to the term, and thus I have been awoken and now am able to label Killjoy content when I come across it because I do enjoy watching it, Ooh. and it's almost <laughs> it feels almost masochistic to go into a situation saying I'm gonna watch this thing that's gonna make me sad, mm -hmm. and I like what this Killjoy manifesto talks about when it talks about happiness because it flips on its head with the idea that to live a life means to live happily, but then also using unhappiness as a wielding of emotional power that can change systems. I think that's very powerful because it gives power back to the person that anyone can wield. And it's not just being sad, but being sad is real and being upset is real. And now we can use it as a tool. And it, it gives me a new side of that emotion, emotional spectrum on the unhappy side of it, which I like. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good intro to it because I think you you hit on a lot of important points that I want to parse out a little bit more. So you mentioned the Killjoy Manifesto, which Sarah Ahmed wrote in her book, Living a Feminist Life, which definitely recommend, a professor recommended it to me and we read a bit of it in a class called Race, Gender, and Digital Technology. It was a fascinating class. I learned a lot, but that's where we read it. I don't know. I just remember being very moved by it and enough to revisit it with you guys. So I'm glad you're here, sticking it out, getting a little academic. Mm -hmm on a Sunday here with me. But anyway, so living a feminist life within that is the Killjoy Manifesto. Important to note, 
This isn't specifically a feminist killjoy manifesto. That's how Sarah Ahmed's using it in her work and her research. But as you're about to see, this is definitely applicable to whatever kind of joy you need to kill in your life. So you can really <laughs> apply it to anything. And I, I found it very helpful in this moment for what I'm, I've been going through. But first, let's backtrack a little bit to define what a manifesto is. Obviously, like we've all heard the term, but I think it's important to really break it down. So according to Sarah Ahmed, a manifesto is something that, quote, exposes the violence of the patriarchal order. Of course, it's a feminist manifesto specifically. So her main thing is a manifesto not only causes disturbance, but it aims to cause that disturbance. It's not an accidental consequence of disturbance. It's very intentional. Again, it goes back to the distinction between a killjoy and a buzzkill, I think. Just to keep in the back of the mind as we dive on into killjoy manifesto, some light reading. This It's just like when I'm like, hearing myself talk about it, I'm just like, let's dive into the Killjoy Manifesto. It's insane, but I also think it's really helpful to learn about. So that, again, we can put words to the things that a lot of people are experiencing right now. So where to begin? Okay. So another quote. I have, I have lots of quotes. Bear with me, but I think they'll be helpful. So Sarah Ahmed writes in her Killjoy Manifesto, a Killjoy Manifesto thus begins by recognizing what exists. So the killjoy figure, that's Sarah Ahmed, or that could be one of us, it could be whoever it is in that moment, maybe her reader, you're killing the joy because of what you claim exists. Just calling attention to a structure, probably a problematic one, is the act of the killjoy. Is this making sense? I'm like, I want to make sure if anything is like not making sense, flag me down. It is making, it's making sense. Okay, good. Keep it up. So a common critique then of killjoys in general, I would say, is that a killjoy is inventive, that you're creating the issue by bringing awareness to it. Mm. And it's, I think that's something that's very common and it can feel like, like, I don't know, think about like a Thanksgiving dinner. And it's an example that my professor brought up when we talked about this in class. If you're the person who's like, hey, that was a super racist joke, let's dissect why. And like, it may be super uncomfortable because of X, Y, and Z. Like, you kind of ruined Thanksgiving dinner. Like, that's the critique. But it's like, no, no, no. The person who told the joke ruined Thanksgiving. Like, you're not to feel lesser because you called it out. Like, that makes you more admirable, in my opinion, and in Sarah Ahmed's opinion. So that's just, I think, a good realistic example that maybe I know I can relate to of, like, maybe I wish I was that person and I haven't been yet, but now I'm starting to be. And it's uncomfortable and it's weird, but I'm proud of it, but I'm also causing a lot of problems. Yeah. If you're going to dissect the turkey on Thanksgiving, you might as well also dissect any racist jokes that are said at the table as well. That's great. (laughs) But I think the important part of it is recognizing the discomfort. I don't think you can be a killjoy and like pretend that it's fine. You're super aware. Sarah Ahmed writes, it's a downer. We are downers. That's kind of the plague of the killjoy. It's like, you know that you're going to be killing the joy, but you know that it's a bigger issue, that you're ultimately creating productive conversations like the one we're having now. Like, I think this very episode is a good example. Normally, we're like, I don't know, talking about things that don't really matter. Like, who are you crushing on this week, Emma? Like, that doesn't matter to the world. We're not a killjoy kind of content in that regard. But I think this episode is. This isn't like a nice leisure listen. Like, I don't think this has a different vibe, but it's intentional you know what I mean like I think we wanted to challenge ourselves to have the conversation and also anybody listening I think it could be a very productive thing and again something I think if my hunch is right a lot of people are going through it especially people who went away to school in New York and now are coming home maybe to families who don't feel exactly the same I don't know recognizing the discomfort that's a given and I think 
we talked about that last week too, just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Well, as I reread the Killjoy Manifesto, I really was struck by how similar and applicable all of this is to the Black Lives Matter moment we're living through. And I spoke a little bit already about how personally I think it's it's really easy on the one hand to be like, these are the right things to believe and to speak up on and to use our voices to proclaim. But then when you have real life people that you love and care about and have respected and admired your whole entire life, pushing back on it and making you feel like you're in the wrong for being vocal, it's a very different experience, something I've never experienced until now in my life. And it is very hard and weird. I don't know. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but do you feel like this is the thing people are going through? Have you experienced anything similar? How do we feel like about this specific moment? No, 100%. I mean, like even posting something on Facebook can get reactions that you just didn't think that were that you were going to get. And it kind of just blows up and you really don't mean it to blow up, but then it's like an opportunity for you to perhaps express like what you're feeling, et cetera. But sometimes the other side is not receptive of you at all. And, and at that point you just kind of have to, I don't know, for me, it's just like listening to them and mm-hmm. acknowledging it, acknowledge and dismiss. That's yeah. also a big thing for us. I don't know. On Facebook, it's kind of tricky. I, I think know. that's where it like exists mostly because a lot of us yeah. aren't having these big family gatherings with like extended family who disagree. You know what I mean? I think like I'm lucky enough that within my home, it's it's not as apparent and it's not as much of a struggle. Like it's, it's a better vibe. But then I think Facebook is where you're interacting with those people most. So it's become a very negative space, but also a space that I want to be on because I feel like I have power to make change there. But I'm kind of stuck in the in-between now. I don't know. I also want, and I meant to preface this whole entire thing by saying, like, none of us are experts. Nobody's really an expert. I can only speak on my experience. Emma can only speak on hers, and Kevin can only speak on his. I think we're bound to make mistakes in having conversations like these, and I think, I thank you guys for being willing to have this conversation and to talk about it and to allow me to make the mistakes that I probably am going to, and vice versa. So, safe space. Love you guys. This kind of goes back to what I was talking about last episode there's times where people don't want to have lunch with me and that's because I'll probably kill their vibe because I'll bring in something uncomfortable and I don't want to be that person especially with people that I love and care about and I know they're fighting the good fight on my side in pursuit of socially progressive ideologies um, that will ultimately lead to equity around the world which seems so odd to think that a lot of people are against that. But of course I'm biased in that I think these things are right and I'll stand by them Mm -hmm. and I'll protect them. Even when you're talking to people that you feel are on your side, quote unquote, there's going to be minute disagreements Mm -hmm. that ultimately lead to a greater truth. And people aren't always in that mindset. And that's okay. And that's part of this idea of becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. And also acknowledging when you're talking to people like that we're doing right now that I know listen to me and care about what I want to say and and will challenge me right back and help me find a greater and realistic truth. You have to meet people where they stand because otherwise it's just disinformation and, and not productive, a not productive conversation. So it's really nice to have a moment like this where we, we're all acknowledging to come into the situation and talk about 
intense things that aren't very comfortable because those opportunities are rare where three people sit down and are like, all right, let's talk about uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's vindicating word of the day. And uh, I'm happy to be here doing it. Yeah. And I think something positive that I've seen is this is becoming more common. I think two months ago, this would be weirder. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's more of an expectation even that people start to have these conversations. And I think that's what's most exciting. I'm cautious to use the word exciting because it has like two positive connotation. Obviously times are troubling and things are bad and that's why conversations like this are important. But I think the collective willingness of our peer group to have conversations like these is something that I found very hopeful. It's quite, I think it's quite natural to have this confusion. It seems like a lot of these things are paradoxical and I felt these almost self-contradicting aspects that might come up more clearly when as we progress through our conversation but it is odd to be a killjoy talking about how those things are productive leading to the goal that you're setting out to achieve being excited that you feel like you're getting closer but then saying wait 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 I'm a killjoy I can't be excited I don't think that's necessarily what the movement is supposed to be of never feel happy again but yeah. also, it's understandable that phrase that is repeated at these marches and protests of no justice, no peace. How peaceful can I let myself be when I know that I'm living in an unjust system and to not be fully content? But when then there's content moments, do you deny yourself those moments? I say no, because Ooh. then you're not embracing reality. If you're feeling happy, you're not going against yourself, although it might seem that way. Right. It's hard. I think you put a lot of good thoughts to, like, I don't know, you spoke a lot of good things that I feel like were going on in the back of my mind and I didn't quite know how to articulate. So thank you for that. It goes to show, I think a lot of us really are experiencing similar things. Obviously, everybody's personal experience with everything is different, but I think there are overarching themes that a lot of people are experiencing right now. And I think just putting words to them, for me, is very vindicating. I really don't mean to keep saying that, but it's true. I think there's been so long that I felt like I was spiraling. So to just feel other people are kind of spiraling too is reassuring to me. I also, I want to talk more like broadly, I suppose, have either of you considered yourselves killjoys in the past? Maybe like now that we have the vocabulary and the definitions, can you recall a time? I mean, obviously all of us were RAs. I think that's the biggest a good example because I think it's a very basic and almost silly example, but it's very speaks to exactly what we're talking about, where you're killing a joy, like literally stopping a party from happening because you it is your job to keep the building safe. Like you don't want a kid to get alcohol poisoning, but you ruin the party. Like you are the killjoy, but you sleep fine at night because you know that you sleep <laughs> from getting a stomach pump. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think that's a really good like nail on the head. RA example, RAs are killjoys, and I'm proud to be one of them. Used to be. Anyway, what do we think? What do we think? First of all, Rach, I think you're always going to be an RA at at heart. Okay. There you go. Yeah, Kevin is clapping, but I think, I don't know, it's very applicable to daily life. But yeah, I think to your point, it's like finding that balance of being there and like being their friend, et cetera, and like trusting, but then also establishing some sort of order. I don't know if that's a good term or not. I don't know. I also think just being a friend in general is a, it, as weird as that sounds, is a killjoy. I mean, if you're truly friends, 
you should be a killjoy for that person. I know, I agree. I think it takes a special level of friendship to be like, hey, what you're doing sucks or like something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you don't do this thing, even if it will bring you joy, it's bad. I yeah. think that's a great, great point. That's so true. To really call someone out means you care about them. Exactly. Right. It's not out of like hatred or anything. It's just merely because you care. I like that you brought up the idea of hatred because hatred means that you want to see someone fail. I don't want men to fail. I want men to fix their actions and see the the flaws that they have. And that to do that has to be killjoyed and like calling them out for what they did (laughs) and what they're doing. So I just like the idea that if you if you're calling someone out, it means you care about them even though that sounds, again, paradoxical or self-contradictory, it's true. I think it goes back to, and I've seen articles about it, and I don't know who I can really credit for this concept, but it struck me. It's it's not a call out, it's a call in. Like, it's a call in to, I, I think that was very striking to me, because so often I think call out is associated with cancel culture and being like, we're Xing you because you did one bad thing, and now you'll never learn from it, and you're just X. That's not that's not it at all. I think especially when you're talking about loved ones, friends or family members who you care about and whose opinions mean a lot to you, the call out is only done in hopes that things get better and you can have a better relationship. And I think that's what gets lost. Again, like I'm not calling you out to expose ignorance for the sake of exposing ignorance. I'm calling you out because I want you to be included in this movement that I feel very strongly about and that I want so badly for you to be a part of. I think uh, our generation of people are completely disillusioned or I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, but over the systems that have been put in place and people even just 20 years older, 10 years older, may be in a totally different mindset where I think... (laughs) We're all growing up saying, hey, this is all wrong. It's pretty much what we're saying right now. Everything, everything that's going on, it's just not right. And we almost need to start over and or restart everything and change, do a completely different gear shift and direction shift. And it's, that's what we're up against when we're talking about killing the joy of an individual that doesn't seem the way that we see because we're talking to someone that's, completely in a different mindset completely they don't a lot of people think that the system is good and works Mm -hmm. and that we are the problem Mm -hmm. when we think the opposite and that's so difficult to get around Mm -hmm. and it takes time and may never happen and that's a killjoy in itself Mm -hmm. realizing that you're not going to get through to everyone and you can really only speak to yourself at the end of the day yeah no i think that's very that's a good point and i think that's a good way to look at it where that's not necessarily means that it's the end all be all standstill and you're not going to make any progress but it's a different approach i don't think i can convince my grandparents the same way i might convince a friend my age about how i'm feeling you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think being like an ra too and just in general or with our friendships is like we know how to talk to people about difficult situations and but i think a lot of people don't know how to talk to people um, about difficult situations, whether it's their temper or their lack of listening, um, as bad as that sounds. I don't know if you guys have like resources or something that you could always add in to say, like, how do you speak to someone who has like differing opinions? Because I think that's really important. Um, putting a point across, there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. 
I think that's a I really think it's a great point. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> well, I think the whole idea of the RA means that it needs to be trained and worked on. We had to go through years and months, hours of training to get to the point where we feel comfortable with being uncomfortable. So it takes time and like you might have to be that training resource for someone and realize that we had to do this for years to get to a point where we sit down and say, hey, we're still not even close to being experts, but we know something and we've had hands on experience, which is exciting. Really great points. And I hadn't thought of it that way, you know, where we are trained to. Right. It almost comes naturally. Uh, not naturally. Uh, that sounds like very pompous or something, but yeah. like. Like it comes, it comes more naturally to us. I don't know. But things um, like empathetic listening and I statements right. are all just like in the back of our minds constantly because it was drilled into us. And I think at the time it seemed frustrating, but now we're seeing the real life benefits of it. You know what I'm saying? I, I really, I think I'm really glad you brought that up because I hadn't thought of it that way. We should send this into res life. Ours is such a great example of the uh, dichotomy between buzzkill and killjoy and a matter of perspective because we probably get yelled at for being buzzkills all the time but on our end we see a, <laughs> a greater idea of hey I'm busting up this party not because I'm trying to ruin your day but I'm trying to save your goddamn life son get it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and it's just it's just a matter of stance and and having some sort of vision and experience yeah putting yourself in a situation like busting a party or something. like how do you handle that is also like an interesting way and like how to put your perspective on someone too. I don't know. We could talk for hours about being an RA. Let's be honest yeah. people. Like Yeah. Can I say one more thing about being an RA? Probably not <laughs> one more thing, but a goal that I had that I've tried to employ in my life outside of the RA role now that I'm not no longer in it was that when I was in my hall, I tried to make it self-governing. And I think that's the goal of the world is to go out and talk to someone and convince them enough to now also be a killjoy and that I would be in the hallway and I knew there was a party in there, but I didn't want to be a buzzkill. <laughs> I wanted to be a killjoy. So I say to the kid that's coming back from the bathroom with a four loco in their hands, hey, you go in there. You say that this is wrong. It will mean more coming <laughs> from you, not me, the buzzkill. You want to be a killjoy right now. I'm telling you because I trust you. I see you as responsible, not someone who's an idiot in my hallway. I would never think that. I see you as a person, an acknowledging personhood, acknowledging self-governance was like the best thing for me wow. to learn as a person. Because that I was like, oh, that works <laughs> most of the time. So it that I think is the goal. Perfect example. I think that really, this doesn't seem to me how applicable the RA <laughs> lifestyle is to this moment. Genuinely, that's really... Thank you for sharing. I appreciate you. Wow. I want to ask you guys how you felt your killjoyness change in this current moment, because we've established that we've all had experience with this before. We are somewhat comfortable, which is to say not entirely uncomfortable, being in the position of a killjoy through our RA positions. But now we are in an entirely different chapter in our lives, chapter in American history, you might say. So question to the group, how do you think the attributes of the killjoy that is you have changed? Um, I think I've just been like educating myself. And I know we've been kind of talking that like, usually you're a killjoy to others, but you could also, I think, be a killjoy to yourself in a way. And I think like, 
in the situation, you kind of have to be a killjoy to yourself because you kind of have to reflect on like your past opinions, values, etc., and kind of reassess. So I think it's important to also say like you could be a killjoy to yourself. But regarding the Black Lives Matter movement, I've just kind of been educating myself and kind of stopping myself if I have a thought that I think that is like not okay, etc. Or reflecting on my past actions, etc. And see if I needed to make a change. And I hope to make a change in the future and then hopefully teach my kids and teach other people, etc. Totally. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do. And it starts with yourself. And there's so much work. And it's almost like taking that stance or taking that first step of clicking on something that you know is going to be a killjoy activity, but having to do it really with yourself. Yeah. And um, that's really difficult to do. So that was a, that was a great point. Just to, to be a self killjoy in a way is uh, is what, probably the most difficult thing you have to do because you can't be one without being one yourself right. first. And I think a lot of people right now are trying to figure out like what ways they can help and they, I guess, perhaps will feel stressed about like, what can I do to help? Like, what resources can I reach out to? But it could be as simple as just reflecting on yourself. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, well said. What about you, Rachel? I think the biggest change for me has been I'm receiving more pushback than I ever have. I think in all the other experiences I've had with being a killjoy, the people come around relatively quickly. The resident says, yes, I get it. This is your job. You're just looking out for us. I understand that. And we all are closer and stronger community because of it. And that feels really great. Um, but what I'm facing now is essentially the opposite of that, where I'm there's just a lot of pushback, again, from people I really, really care about and whose opinions I really respect. And now I'm questioning how I'm handling it and the turmoil that it's causing within my most intimate circles, really. And it's a weird experience. I guess I just want to give voice to the experience of maybe jeopardizing some relationships in your life because your cause, in this case, Black Lives Matter, is more important than keeping the peace at a family dinner. And I know that sounds like a really shitty thing to say, and it doesn't feel good to say it. And I've had, I've had trouble with it myself, just coming to terms with it. But I think, I don't know, it's more important. And I think recognizing that and being okay with being that figure, knowing that like the great aunts are gonna talk about you when you're not around and be like, don't be like those Malik girls because they're causing all the issues. Like that is my cross to bear. And it's uncomfortable and I hate it and it makes me uncomfortable, but I, I just think we have to accept. That's what I'm coming to terms with. The pushback is mm -hmm. new, but I'm happy with my reaction, even though it's, it sucks. Like it's, I don't know, it has sucked a lot, but. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a well said personal experience because it almost, in, in the theory of the Killjoy Manifesto that we read, um, she kind of brings up that idea of, if a family is not working, the person that brings that up is now the villain. Mm -hmm. And like, what? How could you say that? But it was the the problem was already there. Right. If you're outside and there's a bear next to your tent and you close your eyes, the bear is still there. But don't yell at me because I was saying, hey, listen, there's a bear right there. Maybe we should talk about it or at least right. put the, the bacon away or something like. <laughs> but right. But now you're in that difficult situation. And while I'm talking, I guess. 
in terms of my Killjoy experience, I found that it is in that moment right there of taking a difficult situation and then trying to make it funny. And it's almost talking about the paradox of being a Killjoy, but my personal experience, I found it most most effective is if I use some sort of humor because I'm trying to be real with myself. I like to be funny. I am the funniest person to myself for me. <laughs> um, so that's a question I pose to you. Like, could you be use comedy or humor as a way of being a killjoy? Because I saw that personally as an effective means of doing so. I think so. I think you definitely see it even in like the Stephen Colbert show or um, Seth Meyers, et cetera, all those late night shows. I think that's like the definition of using comedy for killjoy purposes. I think that's a great point, but I also think it might be limited to certain so, groups of people. Like I think that works. Sure, sure, sure. And, like, your joke, Kevin, worked with us because we're already on the same page. The yeah. people watching Stephen Colbert are kind of already on the same page. My grandparents aren't watching okay. that. They're not going to find it funny, so that's not going to be an effective means to convince. I think okay. that, and maybe there is a certain type of comedic intervention that might land, and I just have to figure it out. But I think that would be my rebuttal. <laughs> Nothing more, Your Honor. <laughs> Just mercy. Um, yeah, I, Emma, that's a great point of Seth Meyers, Colbert. I think it all started with Jon Stewart, and now we have last okay. week tonight. This really heavy stuff that gets packaged in between jokes and funny little pictures that Jon Stewart or, or uh, John Oliver put up. Mm. I think I found it effective for me because... I have a lot of things that I care about, climate issues, workers' rights, LGBTQ rights, Black Lives Matter movement, all these things that I want to be an ally for. But okay, I need to do a lot of learning to be effective in that. So what do I do? How do I help these? And I've found in the last about year and a half, okay, the thing that I know the best and that I can have active change, tangible change in my life, is studying masculinity and how toxic masculinity, hyper-masculinity, aspects can cause these problems so that's where i think humor is helpful because a lot of men are very tight-lipped rigid in literally and figuratively and humor is a way to like make them more loose and be able to have tougher conversations with a lot of people that are stoic and don't want to initially talk about those things because they see it as vulnerable and vulnerability is seen as weak and therefore don't do it don't talk so that's the effectiveness of comedy in my in my uh, experience. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. I'm taking it all in. This is. I I just think I feel like I came into this discussion like knowing what I wanted to say, and I had a very clear cut yeah. understanding of how it was gonna like run through. But I just think there are so many applications, and hearing it from all of you is it's just very interesting and helpful. I think. So thank, I'm just like happy we're here. Kevin, do you have any like specific? response has it changed for you the killjoy experience i don't know if there's anything else you want to say just recognizing how i personally can do it i think like being humorous and being with the people that i love i have like a tight circle of love that i interact with um mm -hmm. that can become an echo chamber but then being okay what's my role there yeah. i think I'm, i've worked hard to be seen as a respected educated person that can bring these things well and adapted adapt these views to the people that i've come in contact with and okay, how do I do that effectively? Because if I come and talk to you two, it'll be different than talking to my dad, talking to my uncle, talking to a friend from home, mm -hmm. and just realizing, okay, that's my role, and that's how 
I need to educate. And it kind of makes what is said in the manifesto uh, judgment into a project. I, it makes it tangible and actionable. And that's what I want to do now. Yeah. I want to continue acting on education, but then act in real life as much as I can. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Okay. I want to kind of wrap up with going through a few of Sarah Ahmed's principles that she lays out in her Killjoy manifesto. And again, just kind of relating it to the Black Lives Matter movement and how we might be able to, like Kevin said, create actionable items to maybe share with you guys. So we touched on a lot of these already. I just, I, I lifted them all out, but we don't have time to get into all of them. We'll definitely share that PDF in, in the show notes because I think it's a helpful resource. A couple things that stood out. Principle number one, I am not willing to make happiness my cause. So like fluffy happiness, as we like to think about it, keeping the peace, brushing under the rug, that kind of happiness is a no-go if you're really doing the job of a killjoy. That becomes very obvious when you're having these conversations, but I think it's one of the hardest things to enact when you're actively taking that away. But I feel like America is kind of doing that already. Like it's unavoidable right? To talk about Black Lives Matter right now. No matter who you're talking to, no matter where you are, it's going to come up somehow. And I think that in and of itself shows the American response and the American, the greater American killjoy that is becoming in this moment. And I think that's progress? Question mark? How do we feel? I agree with you. I think uh, America is like, we for so long have been like, where goddamn America USA, we're the best. We're the best, baby. I'm America. No. But we never have never reconciled our atrocious, terrifying past. And this is the first half a step of doing that. And there is so much to do and so much work to go. And the question is, are the American people, are the people in power going to do that? Because it starts with the people, quote unquote, on the bottom, even though the common person holds a lot of power. It's the first step of making the people that can make legislation and systematic change it starts with the waking up of the common person, which I think is happening, which is exciting, of, yeah. of this whole reconciliation process that will take double the length that it took to get here. So mm-hmm. it's going to be tough, but it's it's worth it. Yeah, I was going to say, I only hope that we could, like, when we're older, we could see this change and that our kids will just lead different lives I don't know it's just it's a weird thought to have but and it's a sad thought to think that maybe we will never live through it but I'm hoping no I agree I think there's more hope than there ever has been within our lifetimes anyway so I don't know that's to be celebrated but again still work to be done it's almost, it's almost interesting if our kids come to us in 30 years, 40 years and say, mom, dad, that's not right. And killing our joy will mean that our goal of self-governance, of teaching our kids that stand up for what you believe in and keep thinking and thinking critically, it will almost be a success if we get called out or called in in the future. That was something to look forward to. A thousand percent. Yeah, I think that's a really cool, cool way to look at it. I totally agree. principle number two i am willing to cause unhappiness a killjoy is willing to be the cause of someone else's unhappiness we talked about that a lot to be expected but again i think the triumph of the greater societal justice 
is the bigger joy to be celebrated, not the little menial everyday kind of thing. One of the principles, the next one that I really want to focus on because it's particularly apparent to me right now is principle number three, I am willing to support others who are willing to cause unhappiness. I think what I'm seeing in my, in circles like this one, like the three of us, and in my social media feeds is a network of killjoys, even if that's not the language I'm seeing being used to describe it. I think that's what's happening. I think if someone out there listening like hasn't seen a change in their Instagram feed since this is all happening and hasn't changed it for themselves and following different people and exposing yourselves to different voices, you got to look at that and be like, why are you so afraid of have inviting killjoys into your space? You know what I mean? So I think that has been a little triumph for me in that looking like my Instagram looks completely different. And every single day I am made uncomfortable by the content in the feed that used to bring me just happiness, fluffy joy that didn't mean much. You know what I mean? That was like a super edited, super superficial kind of view of life has now become a platform for killing joy. It's insane to me how quickly the change happened and how you are able to avoid it if you want to. And I think if you are doing that, what are you doing? Right? Like we have every opportunity to make that easy. Like that's an easy step every single person can take. And if you're not doing that, I don't know. What are you doing? Right? Some, have you guys seen this? How have you seen like networks of killjoys operating? Do you think that's a thing or do you think it's still kind of individuals? So I think that's when it becomes super powerful, when killjoys get together, kind of like we're doing now, and having important conversations, we're on the same page, and we're, like, reinvigorated to live out the mission. Like, that's where the real, real power comes, when it's no longer an individual, but a network. Okay, I was going to say, I think with social media, it's like, first of all, thank goodness we have it during this yeah. time I think it's very powerful but I think also with social media is like you kind of get to choose what you see like to your point mm-hmm. and it is not troublesome but like why aren't you willing to take that step mm-hmm. and I mean if you don't like it you just easily unfollow but at least dive into it a little right. bit you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I think I used to challenge yourself <laughs> right and I used to approach social media as a place where if something isn't sparking joy within me, like that's why I would do these big like social media cleanses or like purges where I'm deleting all these people who no longer spark joy in me. I can't use that same guideline anymore because it's like when I'm seeing an activist post about all the terrible, terrible things that are happening on a daily basis, that doesn't spark joy. But also the Killjoy mission sparks a much larger kind of joy. So it's redefining within my own, the rules I made for myself, what joy is thank you kevin <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs up that was really good i you know it was really interesting the difference between we've heard these complaints with facebook yeah on facebook you friend someone but on instagram and twitter you follow someone mm-hmm. and you're following them not friending them like you're not just like hey we're friends right. I'll, I'll like your picture when you went to whatever beach but on Twitter, you're following them. You're becoming almost a, a disciple of what they're saying. And then that person is also following 100 people who are following 100 people. And that's how you get your network. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder to see in real life because you can't just look at your phone and say, oh, I have 65 good friends. That's fantastic. I, that'd be cool to have. But yeah. um, I don't have many social media. So 
I try to find it with my friends and like maybe it's just how many group chats I have and and what uh, what is said in them or just like conversations with with people. The RA position is another great uh, example. My first RA meeting was a conversation on how to fight the bureaucracy of res life, <laughs> talking about <laughs> staging strikes. And that was my first welcome to uh, a network of some of the most influential uh, killjoys I've ever met. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. And uncomfortable. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I don't know. We could go through like each one of these principles, but I don't like, I think we, we made some really good points and for the sake of wrapping up, we'll, we'll move on, but definitely something we'll post to kind of revisit in the future, but let's move on just briefly main takeaways from today's episode. Like what is the thing you're going to leave today? Happy that we came to the conclusion of I'll kick us off. I think even making the outline, it became very apparent to me that you cannot call, I cannot call myself an ally to the black community right now if I am not also actively being a killjoy. You just can't have it. I think if I'm too nervous about maintaining, keeping the peace and maintaining the status quo in my own circles, then any donation I make, any Instagram post I make is null and void. It doesn't matter. So I think that kind of helped me frame the discussion. My main objective right now is to be the best ally I can be. And that's changing every day and I'm getting better at it every day. But that comes with the harsh consequence of a lot of killjoy stuff. But I think it's just a matter of becoming comfortable with that, which again is a big theme from today. So that's me. Emma, how about you? Okay, so in combination of last week's episode, I shall say, in the words of Kevin, Social justice is sexy. So just <laughs> flip and do it. If anything, yeah. you'll be, be hotter. Yeah, <laughs> it'll make you hotter. <laughs> so yeah, you can put that on your Hinge profile, that social justice is sexy. And of course, that being uncomfortable is okay, but make it productive. Totally. Mm. Well, I like that. words of Rachel Malik, so you can both be awards. <laughs> when, uh, whenever me and Devin record something, friend of the pod, Devin, we always finish with saying staying hungry, which is talking head song. How we get to stay hungry. And in that, I think that's what I'm going to do. Because like hunger and thirst makes you, is productive and motivating for you to acquire something that will satisfy that. And uh, I think that's what I want to continue doing is having conversations like this where it's poignant and flexible enough to go whatever direction we want to go, but also sitting down and saying, okay, we obviously need a reconciliation process. Let's start with the people who we love and care about and and focus on doing that and satisfy this itch that we all have of trying to be more aware and and a better ally to anyone, just a better human, which is nice. So stay hungry. Stay hungry. Thirsty for knowledge. Beautiful. This is so nice. I will wrap up by saying I genuinely mean this. Like, I am very proud to be a friend of both of yours. I think you are both people who have influenced my life in a very positive way and made me more comfortable having conversations like this and excited to have conversations like this because I think we're all growing all of the time and you guys make that apparent to me. And I'm just... I don't know, the evolution of the three of us and our relationship has been a really, really beautiful thing. And I, I value it a lot. So I'm excited to have this as a little trinket of our love. <laughs> Immortalized. Immortalized the love. Yes. Kevin and Emma, thank you for joining me. We'll wrap up this episode. 
a really, really productive conversation. I'll just run through where you can find more blog stuff and then we'll, we'll sign off. So if you like what you're hearing, be sure to follow us on Spotify or subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also feel free to rate and review. We love that. If you want to see more Kevin, let us know in the review. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at her.blog.life and you could read our articles at herbloglife.online. Finally, for behind-the-scenes videos with a lot of bonus content from today's episode specifically, you can just search Rachel Malik on YouTube. All of the behind-the-scenes videos are up there. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Kevin Verga. I'm a Spoldy. And I'm Rachel Malik. This has been the Her Life Blogcast.